So I know we have some really cool testimonies today already from a few people that we're going to share here at the beginning. And uh, and so I'll start off because then I have to run back and check if my kids are online to teach you. So I'll start first. Um, I spoke to my surgeon. I saw my surgeon on Tuesday from my hip surgery. So those that didn't know I had hip surgery, today is eight weeks from today. Um, and uh, last Friday, if you saw me, I was probably... I was walking around on a crutch and I was probably in tears because I was having a very bad mental breakdown because <laughs> I kind of had a setback. Um, but she told me that's actually pretty common what happened to me. Um, every hip patient goes through it. And it, I bounced back once we figured out what it was. Very good. And they took me off crutch on Wednesday. So I've been walking without the crutch and hopefully I will stay off of it. Now I've got some good tools to not have my muscles freak out on me. They're not used to being worked that much. So, but my scans came back and these were my first scans and they, you know, they're always concerned, I guess, with um, having a calcium buildup. And what that would mean is if a calcium buildup, they go in and scrape it out again. So who wants that, right? I already did that one time. (laughs) I don't want to do it again. And my scans came back beautiful. They were perfect. The cartilage looks great. The bone looks like a normal bone. It doesn't have anything weird growing on it. Um, So that's my praise report. It's, you know, I still, I'm doing well. I've got a lot of therapy to go, like another nine months or something like that, but, but I'm walking and I'm feeling very blessed and, uh, yeah, so praise Jesus. It, I am on the road and, and, uh, it's going good. All right. Who else has a testimony or a praise report or something amazing to share? Okay. Becky has one. Awesome. I know Shelly has one too. Yeah. So we'll let Becky, Becky go. Awesome. This is a, uh, dream come true testimony. Um, I have played the piano since I was four years old. My mom started teaching me. Uh, it's been in my life, my whole life that I can remember. Um, my grandmother had a grand piano in her house. My aunt had this beautiful grand piano in her house. My mom inherited some of those. So I played grand pianos my whole life, but I've never had one. I have a little piano that Dan's mom actually got in the Philippines 50 years ago. I don't even know. I've had it for 35 years. A little workhorse. I've done my whole music career with this lovely little kawaii piano. Well, last week, a friend um, sold a, a grand piano to me. That is a dream. It is the most beautiful ivory color um, grand piano, and it's sitting in my living room, and you can all come anytime and hear me play this beautiful piano, and I just, there um, there have been times, I mean, I've been praying for a grand piano for a long time, and there have been times when I have heard of friends or other people that have, you know, had pianos they were getting rid of, and I'd, I'd be like, oh, is this it? Is this the one? I, okay, I'll go and look, whatever. And this even happened last spring, a good friend of mine, and she, um, when I messaged her and said, I want to come look at your piano. She said, no, you don't. This is not your piano. You need one that, this was an antique. You need one that can actually handle all the piano playing you do. I was like, no, no, let me see it. Let me see it, you know. And so I went and saw it, and sure enough, it was not the right one, and it just didn't work out. And I was like, am I ever going to get a piano? So this is a kawaii, which is also interesting because it's the same um, as my little piano. So 
Anyway, it's a huge blessing in my life. I play it every day. I get up, I go and play the piano. I've enjoyed it. It's a, called a medium grand, so it's a um, five foot ten, almost six foot, and which is perfect because I kind of had to go through this these mental hoops of where do I want to put this thing? Do I want it in my living room? Because it I was afraid it would kind of take over my living room. So I thought I'd put it in my studio, blah, 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 measured, cleaned everything out, blah, blah, blah. Got up at midnight one night, rearranged all the furniture in the living room, measured <laughs> to figure it out. It's, it's in the right place. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I truly, I just got blessed with a massage chair, a really nice massage chair. Uh, about a year ago, Mike Caspar and me would go to American Furniture and sit in their chairs for about a half hour. We just did it because it felt so good. And I just told the Lord, I said, that I desire to have one of these, a chair, a massage chair. Well, I put on Facebook, I was um, selling a bike, a recumbent bike for my, because of my knee, I don't need it. And so <laughs> this girl answers me, and guess what? She wants to trade me my recumbent bike for her massage chair. I, I was kind of blown away, and I said, you know, I, that, that bike didn't cost as much as this massage chair. And she said, I knew that, but I just want to do it. And I said... Okay, well, but I did give her a little bit because I just felt like the Lord told me to do that. So I got really blessed. And, oh, Pastor Larry and James, thank God they came to help me. And because I kept thinking this thing was like 500 pounds or something. I don't know how much it weighed, but I knew it was heavy. Strength from you. Yeah, according to her description, I was pretty sure that when they had bought it and put it in their house, they had taken the roof off and rented a, a Swarovski helicopter and lowered it down into the thing. It was it was a little bit heavy. I mean, you had to be careful with it, but it, it worked out just fine. Yeah, and they had to go down these stairs, and I was just, oh. But once they got down the stairs, it was pretty much... The people were real nice, and they had super beautiful stairs. The treads on the stairs were those polished hickory, and uh, so we were being pretty careful not to drop it or anything, but they were sweet people. Yeah, so anyway, I thought we would have to take it apart in four pieces, but no, they just picked it up and took it down, I'm like, okay, and I didn't have to worry about putting it back together, so anyway, but yeah, that's that's just like... A year ago, I just said that, you know, and and I said to the Lord, I said, you don't forget a prayer, do you? And and it's around my birthday time, too, so it's like, I blessed you because of your birthday. That's Any, sweet. Yeah, anyway, thank you. That's awesome. This isn't a testimony. This is a, observe the something God showed me this week. Um, as all many of you know, uh, Benny Johnson passed, and uh, I was reading all those, and I happened to read one today about her, and it was like God just said, let's celebrate, and it wasn't celebrating her, it was let's celebrate that he heals, and it's because so often when we see so many people praying and somebody still dies, there's that Paul comes over of, oh, maybe it doesn't work, maybe it isn't this, maybe we did something wrong, maybe, and it's like God's like, I want to celebrate that God is a healer. Amen. And that he heals. 
Amen. Well, don't don't leave the mic go yet. What's the gal's name that uh, you traded the chair with? Shauna? Shauna and David. So Shauna has some thyroid problems, and she and the thing that made the coordination of getting this mood uh, bad was she had, she's been having doctor's appointments this week, and she's been home and and uh, not feeling well and all that kind of stuff. So um, uh, Shelly prayed for, her, but I promised her we would pray for, her, and I feel like if you would lead us, we'll pray for for Shauna and uh, for healing. Yeah. All right, Lord God, we just praise you. We're celebrating that you are the healer. Amen. That you have done these things. You take care of this. And we just uh, stand before you with Shauna. She's your beloved daughter. And we just declare over her right now healing that the thyroid, you must come under control of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must submit to correct functioning within your body. And we declare the finished work of Jesus Christ over your body, and we just speak healing in life. Life to Shauna, life in abundance, and we just declare that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Hey, I love taking advantage of the timing when the Lord's leading something like that. Anybody else? Cool. All right. Well, all right, so a little bit of housekeeping. we got a couple folks that are on Zoom. And so if you need prayer and you didn't ask for it right now, but if uh, if you want to get some prayer, when the message is over, if you want prayer, you can run right back there and uh, uh, Dave and Teresa will pray for you. Uh, we'll coordinate. We're going to start trying to bring both parts of this together, especially in that area of getting prayer and healing and stuff like that. All right. So, yeah, this is part three here. We've had a couple uh, pretty rowdy Tuesdays that contributed to the discussion. I have uh, sat under, that's kind of a metaphorical way of saying I've been reading his book and listening to his videos, uh, <laughs> which reminds me of an old story. John Wimber used to hate that phrase, and so we were a bunch of young pastors, and we'd you know, have meetings with him and all this kind of stuff, and if anybody ever said, I just, I'm so excited to sit under you. He says, I know what it's like under there and you don't want to sit there. (laughs) It was pretty funny. So anyway, this is interesting because um, the fruit of our discussions, the fruit of the study and the prayer and the things the Lord has been showing me, um, I wouldn't say it's just, uh, I wouldn't say it's anything that that could be identified in one one area. The, The whole thing, if you remember, started... Uh, with this scripture here, and uh, I asked the Lord what it meant, and we started talking about it a little bit, uh, I think at a Tuesday. Uh, There's the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. And I was a little bit frustrated. Uh, there was a little bit of frustration behind the question because to describe prophetically under the anointing of, of God, as I'm sure John did in that declaration, to describe uh, Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world it just struck me, my gosh, we, we think about sin a lot, and we deal with it a lot, and we postulate about it a lot, and we theologize about it a lot. If Jesus took it away, why do we spend so much energy doing that? And, and then that question and the pondering and some of my journaling and time with the Lord and various things, reading Scripture and stuff, led back to this uh, discussion, that, or the book that I remember reading some time ago, 
about the day the revolution began and what was really the meaning of what Jesus did on the cross and the way into right talks about it and so on and so forth. So that's why there's still a couple of scriptures from, from uh, his translation here. And uh, uh, LV joined us not this last Tuesday, but the Tuesday before, and uh, gave me just a really nice compliment a little bit ago. It says, you're like trying to discover this uh, with the rest of us on the fly. <laughs> and so I know for a number of people, that would probably make them insecure feeling, but I like it. I think that's, that's reality. Uh, one of the things that I hope comes out today is by exploring an idea that you don't already know the answer for, you actually can discover something new. And sometimes you discover things that are bigger than you would have known to pursue if you hadn't done that. So uh, that's kind of a blessing. It is. So that was, so thanks, Elvie, anyway, for noticing. All right, so uh, the first question that I think I can throw an accurate, if not definitive and exhaustive answer out there for is how did Jesus take away the sin of the world? Well, by taking the sin into himself and releasing his forgiveness to the cosmos. So Romans 3, 22 and 24 here, and this is uh, in writes, God's covenant justice comes into operation through the faithfulness of Jesus, the Messiah. And uh, those two terms, God covenant justice that he translates, dakeosune, instead of what's more commonly translated righteousness, it means that God is faithful and righteous to the purpose and promise that he has covenanted with humanity for forever. And so I, I, there's a lot more to learn about, about why he chose that as a translation. And what it does do is it really eliminates, or it really adds a, a, de- a degree of precision in understanding Righteousness when you're talking about God's and righteousness when you're talking about ours and the relational thing. In other words, the idea of being in the covenant. And it opened up a lot more uh, covenant stuff to us. And you remember, uh, we emphasized and doubly emphasized it on, on the, this last Tuesday. We emphasized that if you don't think of Jesus as the Messiah, when you're thinking about him dying and, and, and saving us and doing all this kind of stuff, you have a tendency, like many of us do in Western church, to disassociate ourselves from the whole storyline and all of the magnificence. And you begin to wonder sometimes why that big thick chunk of the front of your Bible is even there, you know, because if it's irrelevant or if it's just a couple of historic examples. But, and then sometimes you fight back against that and you try to re-embrace things that were there and that have become a, 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 a newer thing, a greater thing, a bigger thing, a fuller thing with more light that Jesus brought to it. Anyway, this really helps me, and I think would help us, um, stay focused on this the way it's supposed to be. So, God's covenant justice comes into operation through the faithfulness of Jesus the Messiah for the benefit of all who have faith. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and, and fallen short, of, all sinned and fell short of the glory of God, and by God's grace, they are freely declared to be right, to be members of the covenant through the redemption which is found in Messiah Jesus. And so this is another thing. Uh, one of the casualties of not linking the righteousness of, of Jesus' death and, and the forgiveness of sin associated with that in the whole flow of covenant history is that righteousness then becomes a category or status and we evaluate, are you or are you not? Am I or am I not? And uh, how, how righteous am I? But if you talk of it in these terms, 
right standing or being in the right is being in the appropriate place in the covenant that God has put out. And when you are out of that proper place in the covenant, you encourage things like exile in the Old Testament or lostness. And so lostness is not a punishment for being unholy. Lostness is a state for being confused and in the dark and, and, and not where you belong in relationship to a covenant. So these are all just the thoughts that have been emerging that make a lot of sense to me. Now, here's, you know, so the question is, how? How did Jesus take away the sin of the world? So the first is by fulfilling this covenant, establishing, fulfilling, completing, and, and fleshing it out literally uh, as, as the counterpart to the Father, uh, if you want to think of it that way, or filling both sides of the covenant, uh, bringing Abraham's unilateral covenant up to date and, and up to the, the whole world, which was the original promise of it. Okay, so Ephesians, uh, there it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. So redemption is another word like righteousness. Redemption means being bought back and all this kind of stuff, but it was... This makes it clear, this is numeric standard, redemption is through his blood, and what that redemption is, is literally the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. So we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and then 2 Corinthians 5.21, reverting back to uh, N.T. Wright's translation, the Messiah did not know sin, but God made him to be sin on our behalf, so that in him we might embody God's faithfulness to the covenant. The way that's normally translated, like New American Standard, is uh, he who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become or be made the righteousness of God. But if you don't know what the righteousness of God is and you don't have a place to put it, then what are you really talking about? You know, and I've, I've spent a lot of confusing years as pastor trying to sort that out with people because what is the righteousness of God? And, and, uh, this is also the basis for a doctrine that's got a lot of truth to it, but gets all screwed up, I think. And that's the substitutionary nature of Jesus' sacrifice for us. So that verse has got a lot going for it. The Messiah did not know sin, but God made him to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might embody God's faithfulness to the covenant. Yes, Ryan. If you were to extrapolate N.T. Wright's thinking, would you say that most uses of the word righteousness in Scripture could be thought of instead of that word as covenant justice or something to do with God's covenant? I would I would feel comfortable doing that because he translates almost every instance of that in one form of these, either the covenant justice of God or our participation in that covenant justice. And the righteousness then becomes the right standing in the covenant. Okay. Yeah, cool. so it's, I would say that if he were here, he would be shorter than I am and he would have an English accent, he will go, yes, yes. <laughs> All right, so here is the summary, Alvi, you were asking about. Uh, and it's, it's uh, coming in. All right, so this is kind of an outline of what I've encountered as I've been trying to get an answer for that. How did Jesus um, take away the sin of the world? And then that led back to, well, that happened on the cross. It led back to the whole idea of atonement, led back to something that I've known for a long time, and I've really had it reinforced that 
Uh, as an illustration, the word uh, hilasmos or hilasterion, that, that family of words, hilasterion is the actual precise one, uh, it is translated in most of our translations, um, I just went blank. What's it translated as? Propitiation. Yeah, a very common English word that people use all the time in Bible school so that you are dependent upon them to give you an explanation. <laughs> so, uh, and the explanation that, that I grew up with and that, you know, we've, we've kind of, the Lord's kind of showed us here at Joyland is different is, is that old sort of, uh, Greco-historic, Roman historic thing where you have an assaulting king besieging a city and you have to pay homage to get him to not kill you or take all your stuff. So uh, propitiation involves gold, virgins, wine, things like that. And you appease those people. So appeasement is one of the other things. Uh, the mercy seat is where that word finds expression in the Greek version of the Old Testament. And it's very exclusive to that. The only other place that's, uh, well, I don't want to say that. I think there's, there's one other place where it involves the pitch that's uh, used in the Ark of Noah. But, um, so this begins to, 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 to speak to a place and an agreement and a relationship in the covenant of where mercy is found. Where, and, and there's another interesting connection. We'll see it when I review the Jeremiah 31 version of what we call the new covenant. And it was prophesied, and it's called that way because that's what God said, he's going to make a new covenant. And it's brought uh, into the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. But in Hebrews, most translations say that I will have mercy on your transgressions. In Jeremiah, it is translated more commonly and probably more accurately, or pretty accurately anyway, um, I will forgive your transgressions. So forgiveness of sin is the foundation uh, upon which the new covenant is built. And we've done some study on the new covenant around here, and you realize that all of those criteria about God being our God, and law being written in our heart, and nobody needing to know and tell other people, it's it says for, because I will have mercy or I will forgive your transgressions and your sins I won't remember anymore. So this goes back. Now, think about this. The original question was, uh, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the new covenant comes in and sums it up by saying, and all this is going to be real because I will forgive your transgressions and I won't remember your sins anymore. Now, those things are very confusing when you don't relate them to one another. But the minute you realize that the, the new covenant and the foundation of that new covenant that was prophesied by Jeremiah and that was enacted in the blood of Jesus. If you remember, we took communion. This is the, my blood of the new covenant. That new covenant exactly speaks to the reality that Jesus took the sin away. That's why God doesn't remember it. He doesn't call it to mind. And so I've worked my way into this over the years, and, and I've tried to come up with sort of simple ways to think about it. And one of the ways that works for me to keep this fresh in my mind is, Father, if you remember my sin no more, how fun is it for you for me to have a conversation with you about my sin? Well, it's not. And even worse, 
how fun is it for me to have a conversation with God about Doug's sin? <laughs> that sounds like that's a monologue, you know? Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's just, you know, and again, I'm, what I'm just illustrating is that we take for granted if we don't think this through and don't associate these things with the promises of God and the covenants, we take for granted that sin's a big deal. And, and, and you know, if we're serious about following Jesus, we're going we're gonna to stay vigilant in relationship. No, actually, if you're serious, you're going to believe that he's the one that took away the sin of the world. And if you're doubly serious, you're going to realize that God has forgiven your sins in Christ, and he doesn't remember them anymore. So find something else to talk about and think about. Right? Okay. So, Jesus the Messiah forgives sins. This is kind of a little three points of summary. As a fulfillment of God's covenant purposes, Jesus the Messiah dies for our sin according to the Bible. Now, this is one of the things that N.T. Wright makes a huge deal about. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians, I think. Um, uh, that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture. He said that's not that doesn't mean so you can go back and get three or four proof texts to, to confirm that he died. It means the whole sweep of the Scripture, that the story of the Exodus, the story of redemption, the story of the fall, all the covenants and how they work, that's the Scripture that Jesus died according to. So Abraham was involved in this thing. Uh, the, the children of Israel were involved in this thing. It was just a complete integrated story. And that's where, that's one reason I think that he chose to use and feature the concept of covenant faithfulness. Because the righteousness that was shown to Abraham and that, Abra- that was imputed to Abraham was also uh, shown and grafted into the, and given to the nation of Israel which was given in David's uh, kingship. And we know that it wasn't given just because all those guys are perfect, because they weren't, and they aren't. And their, their imperfection is clearly revealed throughout the history of Scripture. But that's what Jesus did. And we should value that because otherwise, we don't have a frame of reference to understand what grace means. But if you do see the whole scope of that and you see how sins were, were forbeared and sins were overlooked and, and uh, all of that kind of stuff to a point where they were dealt with, then you've got a real solid platform that you can begin to build, build, build grace on more than a lot of people that, that, that don't. Okay, so uh, as the fulfillment of God's covenant purposes, Jesus the Messiah dies for our sins according to the Bible and God declares humanity in the right because of and in union with Jesus. Now, this is another thing that this has blessed me for because I know union is really, really important. But I've been approaching it as if just by sheer grit, I was going to assign importance to union. <laughs> but then, you know, perichoresis began to help me understand the importance of that. And then this is even more. In other words, yeah, this whole thing is built on the fact that you and I are held in close association with Jesus in the heart of God. That's how he sees us. And he doesn't do that as an excuse to do something. That's how he sees us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, union. But it's associated on a lot of fronts. So, uh, what does union mean? Oneness. Uh, when Jesus 
described the Holy Spirit coming. He said He will be with you and in you. And so that's why I like, I think close association adds a concept about the with part. That Jesus is with us. Uh, Behold, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the earth. So there is the aspect of being with, and there is the aspect of being in. So anyway, yeah, I mean, it's a good question, or a good rebuttal, or whatever. I like I like it close to you. Okay, so the second point, and this was one that, that uh, N.T. Wright made that took me a little while to grasp the significance of, not that I didn't see it in Scripture and stuff, but that mankind and nations were slaves to controlling spiritual but non-divine demonic power. Sin uh, gave those powers universal authority. Uh, and with sin forgiven, that authority is revoked. And now the nature of the warfare, the nature of the control changes. And I'll get to that in just a second. The part that I didn't have the room to put on this little three-part point is the forgiveness of sin uh, is what broke the power of those that uh, principality and power control. Why? Why? What is sin? And that's the big thing that we, we were wrestling with the other day, uh, on, uh, a couple weeks ago on Tuesday, was, okay, so Jesus took away the sin of the world. What is sin? If sin is just a violation of command or a moral failure or moral misalignment, that's one thing. Wright suggests that sin is a failure of worship, first of all. And you can start in the beginning of Romans and you can see where Paul makes that pretty clear, that men uh, gave up the worship of God and exchanged that for the worship of the created things and creation and so on and so forth. You can see it practically in a lot of pagan religions or a lot of uh, other kinds of religion, cultic religions of all, all kinds, because there's always an object of worship that isn't God. And you can also see uh, that if you know somebody that's caught up in that kind of stuff, they're probably pretty open to worship anything except God. And so that is what empowers these false gods, these false demons and stuff. Um, now, or back up that first little paragraph, for whatever reason, and I'm not smart enough to articulate it right now, but I, I am now got a place where I can begin to poke at it and see, and there's some stuff with Michael Heiser and a few of those things that show that. Uh, there is a governmental structure that was made when God made the heavens and the earth and populated them with beings. And that governmental structure was something that was being brought down to earth with the creation of man. But there's other stuff that that's up there in the heavens, uh, angelic beings and principalities and so on and so forth. I don't know enough about it to tell you exactly why, but I believe this is true. That those things and the whole rebellion, and we're going to look briefly if I have time. I don't know if I will because it's going pretty quick. But, but I'm going to recommend that you read Revelation chapter 12. Because it, we're so used to reading Revelation in so many screwy ways. But when you think about this, and you think about these, these uh, principalities and powers and angels being cast out of heaven, cast down to the earth, and, and them having a degree of control, like when Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus didn't rebuff the idea that he had the authority to give him those kingdoms. But uh, he doesn't have that authority anymore. That was changed on the cross. That's what's cool about this. So at one point... Uh, sitting around trying to mass evangelize for people to believe in Yahweh was kind of, unfortunately, an impossible task because there was actually controlling powers over those other nations. But uh, in N.T. Wright's favor, he favors saying it this way. It's, it's kind of easy to remember. 
at 6.30 on Good Friday evening, the principalities and powers authority was broken through the forgiveness of sin and everything changed. Did it mean that everybody was no longer deceived? No, but it means that repentance began to open up to all. It means that the opportunity to believe, the opportunity to hear happened. And that is, I think, a very real and a very profound understanding of the situation we find ourselves in right now. So, corporately, the kingdom had come. Now, that also uh, adds some real concrete meaning to me about reading through the Gospels when Jesus says, if I cast out a demon by the, the, uh, the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or why Jesus was able to make these unqualified announcements uh, because of his own presence and his own coming that the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God is near you. And he went around announcing the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God has corporately come. Now, the, what is the kingdom of God? In a quick nutshell, and this could use a lot of teaching, it is the rule of God. It adds significance to Jesus' response when the disciples first ask him, teach us to pray. Could ask him to pray for anything. Anything. What he said was, uh, pray this way, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. So the kingdom and the will of God are associated. The rule of God is associated that way. So corporately, at the restoration of these image bearers, the kingdom of God has come and is growing. And so uh, a point on the restoration of image bearers. Um, one of the big fruits of the death and resurrection of Jesus is, is the freedom that comes from the, the deceptive and manipulative and controlling and enslaving powers uh, of the principalities and demons and so on being broken. And he includes other stuff, and I think you do too. It doesn't have to be necessarily the personification of a specific spirit. It could also be things like lust and greed and hatred and racism and, and fear and all those kinds of things. But So when those things are broken, then one of the things that happens is people then can believe. And some began to believe almost immediately, right? And the story of Acts is just people beginning to believe. William believe, people believing Jesus when he was talking. And so all of a sudden, these believers gain something back. And what is that that they gain back? They gain back the truth of their identity. By, by beginning to worship God again, all of a sudden they discover, this is what I was made for. This is what I was made for. So that failure of worship is reversed. The idolatry that, because you are made to worship. And if you don't worship God, you're going to worship something. It just happens that way. There's pressure constantly to give worship out to something else. And, uh, and that creates idolatry. And idolatry is what creates exile, separation, anxiety, uh, alienation in our minds, uh, hostility, evil deeds, all that kind of stuff. So the fundamental of sin is that alienation, that failure, failure to worship. And you can read that in other places. We'll see a couple of scriptures in a minute. Uh, but when that's broken, it, um, when sin is forgiven, that's broken. And then all of a sudden people begin to reclaim and reawaken to their destiny. We've been trying to do that here consistently. We, uh, ascensions uh, give us a window into our true existence. 
some of the study that we've done, uh, choosing not to just be like our carnal nature wants us to be. And by that, I'm not necessarily talking about just base sins. I'm talking about what I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, but I'm not yet talking about. Hope that's clear. Uh, so corporately, the kingdom has come, really has come, really has. Individually, believers are free, and that freedom very often leads to awakening to being an image bearer of God. And then God has reconciled all. Now, I don't want you to necessarily imply uh, and jump ahead. To what does that mean with doctrines of last days? What does that mean with what, when are you saved? Whatever. The scripture is just plain. God was in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos to himself, not counting their sins against him. And this is where this thing begins now to make a circle and, and begin to explain something really important that's hard to argue and people divide up in camps. Things look one way to God, and that way is true. Sometimes things are true to us, sometimes they're not. That means that there's stuff we have to do to align with what's true. And, and so, Dan, when you were teaching and you had that spot on that line where something, yes, there's no question about it, but that something is really only possible because the something that it steps into or the something that it believes into is real outside each individual place in our line. God, we don't make a place to reunite with God. God reunited with us, and now we have a place to believe in. God reunited with us, and now we have a place to understand. We have a way to understand it. And so, if you guys remember uh, a couple weeks ago when, when Bill Vanderbush was here, I got up to that mic, and, I, and the one question is he was talking about the covenant. I say, what if we just start by believing that it isn't conditional? That doesn't mean that it, there isn't a moment when you're ignorant of it or even in rebellion to it, and then there's a moment when you consider it, and then there's a moment when you believe it, and then there's a moment where you begin to receive the transformation that comes from what you believe. I think all that's real, but I think we, we are so egocentric that if we aren't intentional about thinking about it, we believe that that sums up the truth of transformation and discipleship. It does not. God is at work in us to will and do according to his good pleasure. Think about this in Romans. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to say this right. hope I do. Um, Offer yourselves uh, as a, a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship. Is it in the same place there in Romans 12 where it says, so that you may prove what God's will is? Well, is God's will a question before we get the chance individually through our faith to prove it? Or is it a reality that we have been shooting in the dark around that all of a sudden now, as we offer ourselves back into worship, right? This is your reasonable service of worship. As we engage our vocation as being image bearers of God, all of a sudden there is a reality now that we see clearly and we can prove it. Gold doesn't become gold when you assay it. Diamonds aren't different than quartz because you decide to. <laughs> we get a chance to see the truth. 
There's, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. And I've just exhausted my entire understanding of it. Uh, but so God has reconciled all in this situation. That's why the kingdom of God is a reality. Now, all are called to be reconciled. Well, if he's reconciled me, I've heard people say this uh, as they try to kind of water down the confusing part of 2 Corinthians 5, 20, or 18, 19 there. If God's reconciled us, aren't we reconciled? I go, I don't know. He seemed to indicate to Paul that now you need to be an ambassador and go out and tell everybody, because I have reconciled them, it's time to be reconciled. And that makes perfect sense to me now. I really don't understand anymore why it was as confusing as it ever was. Of course, something that is offered to me has to be received. Of course, uh, a reality that I was ignorant of and lost to has to be understood has to be embraced, has to be received. I don't know if it has to be understood, but it has to be engaged in for sure. So that's what I think we're talking about there. Now, let's go through these three points a little bit if I've got time. And uh, again, Mike's open if you guys have any questions. So forgiveness of sin is the release is released into the timeline of humanity. This is an important point. Let's see if we can take it. So here are Galatians 4, 4, and 5. But when the fullness of time came... Now, who here knows what the criteria was for the fullness of time to be the fullness of time? I do not. Huh? Uh, I don't know. Jesus even said when he was talking about that other stuff that nobody knows this is just the Father, you know? But maybe. I mean, I would. that's a, that's a good speculation. I'm, he probably knew what was going on. Uh, hmm? God knows. It seems so. Yes, God knows. So I don't know what the criteria that is, but... And it's good because you're right. God's the one that reacted to it. Uh, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under law, so that he might redeem those who were under law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, think about something here. What, when the fullness of time came, it released this whole plan of Jesus, right? And if you remember, there were hints at that in the Old Testament. Not even just hints. There was a hint with Eve. You know, your, uh, your seed is going to bruise his head, and he's going to bruise his heel. But there was more than this. There was, uh, uh, for unto us a child is, is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he'll be called Everlasting Father and Wonderful Counselor and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, but look what happens there. When the fullness of time came, the objective, because God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, that wasn't his objective. I mean, I'm, the objective was so that some of us, or all of us, would receive the adoption of sons. Redemption was his objective. Jesus was his means. Speaking of God's objective is speaking of his covenant knowledge and faithfulness. So why, uh, Jessica uh, asked me last week, she said, why do you think it took so long? Why, why all the turmoil in the Old Testament and all these various things? I go, I don't know. I don't know. But the point is, is that God's commitment to his covenant for sons and for people never left his mind. And it is the fruit of the fullness of time. Yes, Ronnie. This particular scripture says so that he might redeem those who were under the law. Do you believe that Gentiles are those outside of the, quote, chosen people, meaning the Israelis, were under the law? Yes, I do. Thank you. I, and the way the law was talked about, I do. The way the law was talked about. And the reason I do is because prior to 
uh, the, the designation of the children of Israel being under the law, the fruit of, of, of the law being violated, broken, and damaged by sin was death, and death reigned from Adam to Moses. So yes, I think so. I think so. There's people that would argue that. They are together on this plan. There's a place coming up where they're even more together. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Uh, yeah, there was quite a bit of agreement going on in there. All right, so uh, just real quick, here's that that uh, covenant in Jeremiah. Um, I don't have to read through the whole thing. You guys know the, the categories, but well, it's probably, eh, it's probably worth it. Uh, but this is the covenant which I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And, and I think, Ronnie, your question has some bearing on how we interpret this idea. Uh, God saw the purposes of Israel reaching out and including the whole world. Therefore, the people of the whole world, even though they were under these kind of authoritarian controls of other principalities and powers, and there was something wonderfully unique about God's relationship, Yahweh's relationship with Israel, his heart was to always see the whole thing brought into his, his nation. So I think that's what, you know, I think that's why this applies to us as well as to the nation of Israel and Jews and so on. I will put my law within their hearts. I will write it and I will be their God. They shall be my people. They will not again teach each man his neighbor, each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now, I would, I, I would say that if we take the forgiveness of sin and the fact that it's so thorough that God doesn't have to remember it anymore, and we see that that began to happen and that grace uh, manifests that, began to be poured out when Jesus was on the cross and when did this happen? We'll look at that in just a second. That makes it possible, I think, to believe verse 34, that they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest. Now, I'm not trying to make a huge case out of that, but I don't see any reason to believe that he was able to forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. And we saw how that happened with Jesus on the cross, rising from the dead, uh, shedding his blood, opening up communion, and said, This is the blood of the new covenant. Well, it seems to me that if the last of the qualifications are true, we probably should believe the early ones. And one reason that the freedom from this demonic and principality oppression opens the door for such amazing things like revival and various stuff like that and evangelism is because the law really is in their hearts. It's not external to them. And it, change, it should change the way we think about everybody. If, if we could understand why people might, and I don't even think we need to know actually, but why is it possible they can behave like such butts? Why is it possible they can be so abusive, so self-centered, so all this kind of stuff? Well, it's, there's a reason for that. But none of that rises to the level of what they're created for and what they're capable of hearing now that they're not under a mandated slavery. And we'll talk about that in just a sec. Anyway. Uh, so forgiveness of sin was delivered in Jesus. When was it granted? <sighs> While we were still helpless. At the right time. It's another one of those right times. While we were still helpless. Uh, okay, God demonstrates His own love toward us that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, why did Jesus die? One of the things was not because we ask him to. <laughs> right? Okay, so this, 
should begin to let us separate the purpose and act of God and the response to that purpose. The response to that purpose is very critical. It did not make the purpose happen. Okay? Uh, Much more than having been justified by blood, we should be saved from the wrath of God through him. For uh, God is really not in there. Uh, That's one thing I don't like about the NAS on this one. But from the wrath through him. Uh, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death with his son, much more having been reconciled, we should be saved by his life. Not only this, we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let's look at these. Having now been justified in his blood. The justification by the blood of Jesus for you, me, and our neighbor is not conditional upon our acceptance of it. That's an act of God according to his purpose and will. Okay? Now, that means we have to change a little bit what we think about justification. But that's okay. Uh, We shall be saved from that. Okay, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. That's exactly what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. That uh, God was in Christ reconciling the world himself. And if he had already reconciled them, since uh, once they'd asked forgiveness, there would be no point in making the statement, not counting their sins against them. So we have to divorce these things in our mind, and we have to give an order to them that makes sense. God did something, we are called to respond to it. God did something, we are called to respond to it. And then now, uh, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So again, God reconciled to himself, but now it's up to us to be reconciled. It's just what Paul says. I don't know why we had, uh, I, you know, I'm we, I say we. Uh, it took me 40 years to see it, so I guess that's the way it is. Okay. Uh, same thing. When was it granted? Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And he had committed to us the word of reconciliation. I don't know exactly, but by the time Jesus went to the cross, there might have been what? Five or six hundred people that in any way, shape or form believed in him. Maybe a few more. Not many, though. So this isn't talking about them. This is talking about a whole bunch of people that never heard of him before. This is talking about a whole bunch of people who died before he ever came up. This is talking about a whole bunch of people. This was an act of God according to his own will and purpose. And there's so many other places once you start seeing that. Um, he, okay, so he gave us this ministry of reconciliation and this word of reconciliation. So the question is, it was delivered in Jesus, forgiveness of sin, but when was it granted? I think it was granted right there. I am becoming pretty convinced of this. It makes a lot of sense to me that the Father, and notice that Jesus didn't say, God, forgive them. Like he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me at the beginning of that cross ordeal? He was identifying with us and our alienation. And my God, my God. By the time he got to this place on it, he was through that alienation, overcoming that alienation, speaking to his father as the son. And he was asking something, Father, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Now, something we talked about on Tuesday, uh, to catch you up, Ali, I got caught up in it and got kind of excited about it. 
Um, in John chapter 12, uh, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, or when the Son of Man is lifted up, he'll draw all to himself. And we're all growing a little bit in the understanding that all means all, and that means that all of the corruption, creation, all the things that need to be redeemed, all sin, all this kind of stuff. And we were just thinking, because the way this speaks about that, Father, if you back up, yeah, oh, there it was. But Jesus was saying, there is a sense in which it wasn't just a one-time utterance. It was This was what he was saying. And we were speculating on, as Jesus was there, what was this like? The sins of, of the patriarchs? Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Another wave of those sins of the contemporaries, another wave of those sins of the Romans. Uh, you know, a lot of people have tried to make it like it was the ones gathered around the cross or just the two thieves on either side. I think that's such a narrow view, such a tiny view. And then what about, what about the stuff, Genghis Khan and his brutality and what about the betrayals that went on during the French Revolution? Was Jesus drawing all those to himself and every time saying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing? What about Hitler? What about Pol Pot? What about the abuses that are going on today politically and culturally and socially? Yes, sir. Uh, it sounds like you're saying he's committed to us the word of reconciliation, and that word is Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. The bigger picture of that, that yeah, the yeah. bigger picture of that. Could it also be many times the word, the W-O-R-D, is Jesus? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. The word of he's God. the centerpiece so, of whatever the ministry of reconciliation is. So it could also, also be he is committed to us, Jesus, the reconciler. So I the do think there's a. There, I think there's a. Um, I think there's a declarative or proclaiming aspect to that word. Could you look that up, Dan, and find out? Is that Laleo or is it? Uh, uh, it's uh, no in Second uh, Corinthians five nineteen. The word of reconciliation. Uh, uh, I would guess that it's Laleo or one of those, but it could be Logos. I don't. I don't know. It is logos. Okay, good. So it's it's a big picture. It's a big picture word. It's carrying the whole thing. Yeah, yeah all, all it's in Jesus. Okay, cool. Good question, right? Um, all right. So if we assume, for the sake of the discussion, and you're going to have to assume some stuff because I can't prove it to you, and we can't figure this out in three weeks. So for the sake of thinking about it and potentially changing the way we think. You know, just let some stuff. You, know, you can always change your mind later. It's not no law against that. But let's think about it. All right. So if the forgiveness was granted through the prayers of Jesus by the Father, and that was when around the cross and all that, everything was reconciled, then I understand more what N.T. Wright means when he says at 6.30 on, on Good Friday, everything changed because all of a sudden principalities and powers were disempowered. All this kind of stuff happened. Uh, stuff was there, sins were forgiven, exile was broken, and now it's a whole new ball game, pulling people out of that. All right. Well, that whole new ball game, that whole new ball game started and was articulated about three and a half days later. And that's this. It's in John chapter 20. Um, before this, uh, Jesus appeared as the gardener to Mary and told her, go back and tell uh, your brothers, my brothers, that I'm going to, my God and your God, and all this kind of stuff. Beautiful. She goes and tells. They don't believe her. 
And uh, then Jesus appeared in the room with uh, ten of the disciples. Judas was dead, and Thomas wasn't there. So there's ten of them in there. Uh, may have been some more, but uh, those two weren't. And Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said again to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Let me show you some verses. First of all, he showed them his hands and his side. Jesus himself relied upon his moment on the cross to confirm who he was to them. The cross is the centerpiece of this deal. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I also send you. What can that mean? And why will we not take that somewhat seriously and literally? As the Father has sent me. If I were to back up, where was it? Uh, anyway, that scripture, Dan, where you said the Father and Son agreed on this. Well, that's what leads us to this point. So ought we not agree ourselves with this? We have been sent like Jesus has. So again, I don't expect that to be a fully faithed out thing in you right now. It's not in me. But let's try to believe it. Let's just say, like, what if that's really true? Let's see if that's really true. And then he had said, when he breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now that begins to make this commission make more sense. How is it that we can fulfill being sent like Jesus is sent? Well, how about because God himself is going to take up residence in us? Or Jesus is going to impart the spirit of Yahweh into our lives. The same one that hovered over the... We went through that whole thing about how important he was and how big he was and how big it was. Okay? So this is not unbelievable. It's just amazing. It's not unbelievable. It's not a contrivance. It's just amazing. And then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they have been forgiven. Well, that makes sense. Why is our first reaction, well, I don't think I can forgive sins. Do they have to ask me first or blah, blah, blah? I don't know. I read some stuff, people trying to explain this, and I'm done trying to explain it. I just want to give it a shot and see if it is true. Because I can't explain it. Now, being sent like Jesus, probably we should have known it was going to include this because he was in Simon's house and that lame guy was brought down through the roof or whatever it was. I probably got stories mixed up. But anyway, he said, uh, hey, your sins are forgiven. And then everybody got offended because they said, well, who can forgive sins? And Jesus goes, well, so do you know that the Son of Man can forgive sins? Hey, dude, rise up and walk and take your pallet and get out of here. Or whatever. I mean, I don't remember if I got both stories mixed up. That's what I'm saying. But you see what I'm saying? There's a connection. Now, think about this. We wonder why, as rich as our Pentecostal charismatic and Bible history is in the people assembled in this room, we wonder why we don't see more healing or more miracles. 
Maybe it's because we forgot the initial commitment and the initial commission, and maybe we need to just start issuing forgiveness and the Lord will start sending people in that we can say, you don't think we have the right over there at Joyland to forgive sin? Well, how about this? Bring somebody lame and we'll tell them to get up and walk. Maybe. Right? I'm not looking at it as a mercenary way. I'm just saying, this is what this is about. We didn't invent this. I didn't write this. This isn't a commentary. This was the first thing Jesus did. And it was the first thing he said. And we ought to give that some credit. Uh, okay, so Paul understood this. We're ambassadors as though God were making an appeal through us. Well, let me ask you, who else is he going to make an appeal through? Except his image bearers that have been restored because they're no longer in exile and alienated and hostile in mind because their sins have been forgiven. When? On the cross by Christ. When he asked his father over and over again. And the father reluctantly said, oh, okay. No, this was the plan from the beginning. Manifest at the appropriate time, at the final time. All right? Uh, Paul knows about the Gentiles. He didn't go out there trying to put the glory of God the hope of Jesus and the Gentiles, he came to a realization, oh, that's what you did. And the reason Paul realized it is because on the road to Damascus, he had a revelation when God, who called me from my mother's womb, was pleased to reveal in me his son. It opened my eyes that his son is in the others too. I think so. I think so. All right. Just because we're called to teach and preach doesn't mean this isn't true and that it takes the place of us believing the reality of pronouncing and releasing forgiveness as the image bearers. All right. Forgiveness broke the sin or broke the grip on the rulers and authorities. We saw that. I wanted so bad to read the whole of Revelation, but obviously I haven't time. If you'll go back and read Revelation chapter 12 with this stuff in mind, and not try to make it some weird futuristic view and say, well, when did that happen? When did this happen? Just read what happened. There, there, there was a war in heaven and they got cast out. And Michael won. And they went down here. And it proclaims, you know, blessed be heaven, but woe to the earth. Because the devil's down here and he's angry. And he's going to make war against the saints. But he doesn't have the authority to establish a full kingdom. So if we stand up to him and we push back against him, There's no authority behind the deception. We win. And probably the most significant and neglected tool that we have is the release of the forgiveness that Jesus secured on the cross. And if we can release that, we might see some things happen. All right. Uh, He stripped the ruler's powers. You guys know it. Uh, Okay, so... I do want to take some time on this verse, and I'll try to finish as quick as I can. This is important, though. Jesus got really specific in uh, in his preparation address for his disciples to face his death. And he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He very specifically explained what sin was. It was not believing in Jesus. Righteousness, because I go to be with the Father. Heaven and earth are connected again. I'm going to be with you, in you, and I'm going to be with the Father. And this union that we have is going to include both branches of government. 
the earthly and the heavenly. And there's a lot more to say about that. But this last one, look at that. Concerning judgment, why? Because the ruler of the world has been cast down. Not concerning judgment because the Father is keeping a list or has some angel doing it of the naughty things you do and he wants to punish you appropriately for those naughty things or punish you eternally for them or whatever. No, that's ridiculous. The Spirit is convincing us that God's plan is real and that he won, that he was successful, that we're image bearers again in the temple and then Paul goes on, and I don't have time to go into it, but you guys know the verses, that creation groans, waiting for the revelation of the sons, the glory of the sons of God. Image bearers revealing and releasing forgiveness and calling all to be reconciled here in Romans. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You know why it's important for you and I to be led by the Spirit of God and not live according to the flesh? It's not so that we don't run afoul of God's temper. It's so that we can be the bearers and worshipers of the image of God that we were created to be. The Spirit cries out in our hearts. Last week I left us with a question based on this scripture. The question was, can we apply John 20, 23 to politicians and other culture war people? Here's what I think the real question is. Do we dare believe that this possibility even exists? We don't have to know how it's going to work out. We don't. You think the disciples hiding in the room for fear of the Jews got an instantaneous revelation and full apprehension of what Jesus said when he said, peace, uh, you know, be at peace, breathe on them, fill the Holy Spirit. Now, everybody you go out and forgive, they're going to be forgiven. Everybody you don't forgive, they're not going to be forgiven. Or they're going to be retained. And there's a lot of stuff to learn on there. The word about retained is super interesting. What if we just give it a try on a sheer basis that Jesus said it, and we've been told to do it way back early in his ministry? Matthew 5, there in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But no, I'm instituting a new program that is going to bring clarity to those kind of notions. And the clarity is this. Love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And I want to... I want you to know that I know this, okay? This is bigger. This is too big. When I got online and I started reading people's, various people's, and I don't fault them for trying to do this, people's explanation about John 20, for instance, everybody's trying to make sense of it. What if we've lived in the dark so long that we're not being called to make sense of it, we're called to lift up our head and believe and see what happens? Lift up the gates. Let the king of glory come in. What if making sense of it is not the goal? What if doing it is the goal? So, let's see what God can do with our faith, obedience, and courage. We are, after all, image-bearing children. Now, do read Revelation 12. You ready back there? I want you guys to watch this two-minute video it's the video of a restaurant in New York being trashed by some customers. And get the sound up good so you can hear it. 
a restaurant over extra sauce worth less than $2. Hello, I'm Dana Tyler. Welcome back. I'm Alice Gaynor. Two workers at a Lower East Side French fry shop were hit with glass bottles, and the place was trashed after police say a group of women refused to pay for the extra sauce they ordered. CBS 2's Kevin Rincon reports on the charges the women are now facing and how the victims so are watch doing. it closely. The sound of the alarm did little to stop three women from trashing Bell Fries on Ludlow Street. As they climbed over the counter, they took aim at the staff just inches away. Two of my employees were um, hit in the head with glass bottles. Anna Lee is the owner of Bell Fries. She wasn't here during the attack, instead woke up to the video of the chaos. It's a nightmare, honestly. The anger? It was all over dipping sauce. The women didn't want to pay $1.75 for an extra one. There's something going on with them, and it didn't have to do with us, uh, clearly, because it was over sauce. Like, nothing should, that should not call for that behavior. As you see, the three women rip apart everything in sight. Behind them is a crowd of dozens, at times cheering. As mad as these women were and how as crazy as they were acting, like, I think that was egging them on. This happened Sunday, July 3rd at around 4 in the morning. Police say two workers were taken to the hospital and treated for cuts. They did arrest three women in their 20s and are now facing felony charges. Shatara Placencia, Tatiana Johnson, they were released. Pearl Azoria had to post bail. She's accused of stealing $10 from the register and punching an arresting officer in the face. They're all due back in court Friday, July 8th. To make sure something like this doesn't happen again, the owner has hired a security guard to work through the weekend. That should give them some extra time to put new security measures inside. On the Lower East Side, Kevin Rincon, CBS 2 News. Okay, did you hear that last, that, the analysis? This is the only analysis the world has to offer. To keep something like this from happening again, we'll hire a security guard. So there'll be room to breathe. No. What if we come to understand what Christ accomplished on the cross and gave us the authority to release? Now, I, I listened to this like five times, and I don't remember the girl's name, Tatiana something and whatever. Uh, Tuesday, uh, this last Tuesday, every every other Tuesday, I have a study with a bunch of pastors and leaders, and this old gentleman leads it, who's a longtime Bible teacher named Fount Schultz. And uh, I asked him the question about this verse because we were at the same place in the Gospel of John. And he said one of the things that he felt like was worth considering was that when Jesus met with those disciples, at that moment, that was the raw material of his body. And so it wasn't just a, it wasn't just a, a, a small version of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which was going to come in Pentecost. It was more like Adam, uh, Adam's body being formed and then God breathing into it. He became a living soul. And I looked up the, the Greek there and it is a word. It's, it's not, it's, um, it's not a feeling. It's a puff kind of word. It's the word that if you go back and, and every time, the Greek is used to try to describe what happened with the body of Adam. It uses the same Greek word. That's where it comes from. So, I mean, that's what the, the meaning of that word comes from. So anyway, Fount suggested that it may not be that we could apply that commission of releasing forgiveness just as an individual believer thing, but, but it's very, very likely. I'm not saying we can't, but it's very likely that we could do it as the church. We could do it as the body of Christ. 
So where two or three are gathered in his name, there I am in their midst. I don't know. It's just something to think about. But the question is, okay, so the reason that I chose these is those girls obviously overreacted, right? There was a lot of self-indulgence in that. There was a lot of, you know, they were smiling and showing off their booty and all this kind of stuff. But uh, was there demonic influence in that? I bet so. I bet so. I don't think that just came out of them personally. But the, the issue that's interesting is if so, it was local and it was voluntary right there submitting and these demons taking advantage. Is there the possibility? So th- I followed up a little on this story. Uh, all three of the girls got indicted and I listened to one of their attorneys. Well, there were things said to them that when it comes out in court, it'll paint an entirely different picture as to why they trashed this and all this kind of stuff. Okay, whatever. Uh, the solutions we have are like the one that, that the reporter reported on. Well, we'll just buy a security guard. We'll try to contain it. And, uh, I, okay, I, I, I have to say this one last thing and then we'll close. But we can't close because we have to pray for these girls. We have to release forgiveness on them. The reason I chose this instead of Nancy Pelosi or Adam Schiff or President Biden or something is I think we have a lot of baggage with those guys and gals in politics. Almost too much to just ask you to do it sincerely. But we never even saw or heard of these three girls. We've never had any interaction with them. They've never done anything to us personally. Their lives are obviously in a turmoil. I think it's an easier target to release forgiveness in. Now, does anybody in here have even the inkling of belief that we might be able to do this and then it follow this story and the girls end up confessing and repenting or something? Okay, so here's a mic. Let's pray. Anybody that wants to get up and kind of lead us as a group. First of all, let's have a show of hands for solidarity's sake. Who believes that there's something to this worth trying? Okay, that's plenty. Holy Spirit, does that constitute a quorum? (laughs) Anybody want to? Just there's the mic. And what we're doing, remember, we're forgiving them. We're releasing the forgiveness that Jesus sought for them. Father, we stand with your word where you say those that we forgive, they're forgiven. So we forgive those girls, women, from the activity we just saw on the camera and from the thoughts and from everything involved with it. We ask that you release them. So we agree with... um with you, Father. We agree with you and where those are women are right this moment. We we agree and we know that you are there with them, that you um you are in them and, and around them. And so we agree with who you are as the one who forgives and we say peace. Peace be to you. So we speak to all three of those women to say peace be to you. Peace. We speak peace over you, peace over your life, peace over your dwelling, peace over your family, peace over all that is around you. And we let you know, we tell you from afar, because we know that Jesus is there. We know that God is there in you and with you. And we agree and we speak out on on earth as it is in heaven, that you're forgiven, that forgiveness is yours, that you're forgiven. We don't retain your sins. We don't retain your issues. We don't retain this issue or the other issues of your life. Instead, we agree with Father, we agree with, um, with the Messiah, 
who made a covenant with his father so that you could step into that forgiveness. So we, we declare that over these women. We, did, we speak that over them and we say love and peace be with you because you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Amen. And we invite you to step into that forgiveness with full assurance that your true identity is an image bearer of God. Also, want to just agree for forgiveness on everybody else who was involved in this situation, for the workers who are there. I pray forgiveness be released in them. I pray forgiveness be released in this shop owner. I sense a tender, open spirit for her, and I pray forgiveness to be released through her into her shop. I pray for forgiveness to be released in the people that were watching, that you would uh, stir in their hearts, Lord. Um, your mercy and your forgiveness and in any uh, actions or words that were said in that in the crowd that they would also be forgiven in that situation Amen. the lawyers involved the drama in this situation I just release forgiveness into the whole drama of the situation that it would come into order because that's what you do, Lord. You bring things back into order. You de-escalate things and bring peace, like uh, Holly said. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Father, I'll tell you that it's, uh, when I watch that, it is difficult for me to see stuff where people's properties being destroyed and people are being hurt to reach out in forgiveness. But I know there's been times when I've asked for forgiveness and didn't feel like I was deserving of it also. So according to your word in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, and when you pray, make sure you forgive the faults of others Amen. so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you withhold forgiveness from others, your Father withholds forgiveness from you. Uh, I thank you, Father. And we do forgive those young ladies. And we thank you, Father God, that where there's been a heart of stone, there'll be heart of flesh again. And they'll admit that what they did was wrong and ask forgiveness as we forgive them. In Jesus' you. name. Thank you. Lord, I pray that as I feel like we're heading into the meme wars, that uh, our immediate heart desire is always to form an opinion, to align with a side to choose an interpretation of the situation. And Lord, I pray for freedom from that. Yes, that, God. that instead we see, we see people as you see them, not a situation that we have to judge, not that we have to form an opinion on who's who and what, who did what. And we become judges over the whole thing, but rather to just look with the heart of Christ and to extend the, the same love that you gave to us, that we would extend that, that we would replicate your glory. And Lord, we just pray that on these girls, again, the, every person involved in this situation. Um, I just pray that in your name. Thank you. And Lord, we, <clears throat> we believe, even though we don't fully understand, we don't require that we fully understand, because we can really only understand things that are small like we are, and this isn't. This is big like you are. But we can believe it. And we believe that 
what you said was true and that we have a role and a part in the life of the body like your disciples did and that, that you have prayed and included us in them in the release of this thing. So because of your word, because of what you said and what you've asked us to do, and because forgiveness has been released, we declare your kingdom over this place, the rule of your kingdom. We declare your faithful covenant, or your covenant faithfulness, I mean, becoming the covenant faithfulness of those girls, that shop owner, those employees, those bystanders, the police, the attorneys. We thank you that your covenant faithfulness is manifesting now. We thank you that because of the release of forgiveness, the power that any principality or demonic force exercised to provoke this and and to turn these girls to that. We thank you that it's broken, just like it was broken from the beginning. Only now the deception of it, the lie of it, we rebuke in Jesus' name. And we cast them down. We celebrate with Holy Spirit that the ruler of this world has been cast down and is no longer in charge of that. And lastly, we believe and we celebrate these girls coming into a reawakening of their own image-bearing status. That they would quickly become worshipers of you and mirrors reflecting your love, grace, and mercy to the world around them. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.